This is episode 007 with keynote speaker and leadership expert, Alan Stein. Welcome to Be Contagious. My name is Coach Hernando Planels Jr., and I'm a college basketball coach who believes that leadership is the key to everything. Each week, we bring you stimulating conversation to help you discover ways to be an inspirational force with the people around you. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get contagious. Alan joined us a few weeks back on Facebook Live, and he shared his nuggets on leadership, communication, and culture. You are going to love this. But you are here, you watched some of our other ones, and we're really talking today a lot about leadership, communication, and culture. Um, we're going to talk a lot of different things along with the relationships. But first, I want to introduce the guy to my left or my right. I'm not sure which one, but it's Alan Stein Jr. Alan, how you doing, man? Fantastic. I'm excited to be in your tribe. Well, I tell you, man, the tribe is excited. I got a whole bunch of emails and texts like, I can't believe you have Alan Stein on. I'm like, all right, guys, calm down. Everybody just calm down. Yeah, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> you are, man. You are. Well, let's, I mean, we're, for the people who don't know you, I want you to go ahead and um and tell people just about yourself what you've done all the really really cool stuff and and just go from there and and we'll keep it going well i'd say in order of importance i'm a father of three wonderful kids i've got twin sons that actually turn seven this coming weekend and i've got uh, a daughter that'll be five and that's uh, i think my favorite title i'm very amicably divorced get along very well with with my ex-wife um but on the professional side i've been a basketball performance coach at the youth and high school level uh, for the past 15 years and, uh, you know, just absolutely love the coaching fraternity. Um, basketball has been my number one passion uh, for as long as I can remember. Um, and when I got to high school, I really started to have an affinity for the performance side and, and teaching players and training players to improve their athleticism. Uh, so to have been able to make my living combining my two passions of basketball and performance training. And then if you throw on top of that, I'm very passionate uh, about being a role model and, and having a positive impact on young people. You know, I've, I've been living the dream for the last 15 years and uh, very thankful and blessed to be in the coaching community. And I'm starting to make a transition now into the corporate world where I'm going to share all of the messages that I've learned through basketball because the game has been so good to me uh, and going to pass that on to the corporate world because I'm a huge believer that the tenets of success transcend any industry and the, you know, the, the foundational principles of of being a good father and being a good coach or being a good CEO or being a good manager, uh, they're all interrelated, and, and I'm excited for this new chapter. Well, I think one of the things, and I know we have talked about before, I mean, I know your transition is going to be unbelievable because the stories that you have along with the principles that you have worked with a lot of great players in the past. I mean, the big thing, and we, I had a couple emails talking about communication. I think you and I have talked, communication is so important. But how does it work when you are dealing with a high-profile athlete who knows they're good, everyone is talking about they're good, and they come to you, and you're trying to give them things that, that they may not be too sure of, um, they have to trust you? Like, what are some of your approaches that you've had to do? Well, you just hit the buzzword. The buzzword's trust. And the sooner you can establish trust, uh, the quicker you'll have effective communication. There's always going to be a barrier of communication if there's not trust. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, it, it takes time to build real trust, but there's certain things that you can do to kind of break down those initial walls. You know, 
a good portion of what I was doing previously was, you know, I would travel to a city and I would hold a three hour workout for players. Now, this is the first time that I'm meeting any of these kids and I'm going to work with them for three hours and then I'm going to hop on a plane and go somewhere else. And I may never see them again, which means I have to establish trust and credibility in a matter of minutes. So now, obviously, that's not going to be the same type of trust that, say, you and I have built over years of friendship. But I have to do certain things to try to establish that trust and credibility right from the beginning. Because if the person you're communicating with doesn't trust you, doesn't believe you, or doesn't believe in you, then that's going to be a huge barrier to your ability to communicate. Um, for me, when I'm working with high school age players, um, I don't name drop to name drop. I use the names of players that I've worked with because I know that it's important to them and I know that it's going to get their attention. So the players I've had a chance to work with is almost irrelevant. But if you can put yourself, you know, in the shoes of a 15-year-old a varsity basketball player and you mention a name like Kobe Bryant or Kevin Durant, then all of a sudden in their eyes you become more credible. So it's not about the name dropping. It's about making sure that I do what I can do and control to get my message across to them effectively. And then I think as far as communicating, whether I'm working with uh, you know, a, a kid that might not make JV or I'm working with an NBA player, the truth is what's important. And I think from a communication standpoint, if you always communicate the truth, what you believe in, what you're passionate about, your convictions and how you evaluate the situation, then you can't go wrong. And, you know, um, everyone has a different style on how they communicate, you know, but I think the truth, everyone can appreciate and everyone can and respect. And, as you know, as well as I do, sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes you have to tell people things that they don't want to hear. Uh, sometimes you have to say some things that you don't want to say. But, you know, it's that old cliche, the truth will always set you free. But that's the truth. And, and, and you need to be able to look a player in the eye. In my case, if I'm evaluating their athleticism and their performance, I need to be able to tell them what things they do well. I need to tell them what things uh, I think they need to improve on. And as long as I'm sincere and they know that I have their back and I'm doing it because I care about them, then everything will be fine. And, and you can't ever, you know, short sell the caring factor. You know, you know, with the relationships that you have with your players, caring matters. And when you can uh, convince a player that you care about them and they trust you, then I find communication becomes much easier. How do you now, you know, communication is like, you know, you just, I mean, that was, I don't even know what to say because that is a tremendous answer. But when you communicate with people and your and players or whoever else, are you communicating the same exact way, or do you understand who they are and then communicate in a way that can reach them better? Because I know a lot of coaches they only communicate, or even leaders they only communicate and lead the way they were taught or led. What is your approach when talking to a player? Yeah, anytime the more you can customize or individualize your message, your tone. Uh, the way that you deal with players, the better. Um, but again, uh, if we start with a very broad stroke, so I walk into a gym to meet 100 kids for the first time, I'm going to be very generalized in my communication because I don't know any of them. I don't know their tendencies. I don't know their personalities. So I'm going to communicate in a way that's very authentic and natural to me. Now, if it was a player, say, at DeMatha, and I've built a personal relationship with them for three years then I have, I understand their nuances. I understand their character. I understand what motivates them. So I can know, you know, hey, this one player, I can be a little harder on him and a little more direct because he can handle it. 
Whereas this player, you know, he's better off in private one-on-one conversations. You know, I don't, I don't want to upstage him in front of his peers because that's not the way that he prefers to be communicated with. So uh, I always will start general. And then the more information I process and the more I learn about who I'm talking to and talking with, then I want to customize that as much as possible. I mean, you and I are very open and honest with each other. We've had some wonderful heart-to-heart talks, you and I, because we've built a relationship where we respect each other for being so direct. My relationship with some other people, I might approach slightly different based on, you know, their nuances and their, their you know, preferred method of communication. But it still all comes down to caring, building trust, and being honest and truthful. Um, and then, of course, you know, as you and I have joked before, because we haven't been as good in the past, half of communication is listening. You know, as a speaker and a clinician, I'm so used to always talking and I've really had to work on the listening because the only way I'm going to learn the best way to communicate with you is if I listen to you and I, I hear, you know, and you're going to give me some tells on what's the best way to communicate. So listening is still something that I'm constantly working on. Um, but I find that it's a great investment because my communication gets so much better when I sometimes shut my mouth and open my ears. Yeah. Now, has that changed over the years, your communication, but also your leadership style? Because I'm I'm pretty sure, you know, obviously communication is a big part of what you do, whether it's on the court or off the court. How has that changed, adjusted along with your leadership style over the last 15 years or so? Uh, well, definitely the communication, the being an empath- an empathetic and open listener has been the biggest part that has changed. And a lot of it, all of the changes that I've made in my life have come through self-awareness. If coming through really looking internally at myself and giving myself a raw evaluation of what things I believe I do well and what things I don't do so well. And for most of my life, like many of us do, I've kind of hidden behind my insecurities and my fears and my weaknesses and just pretended that they weren't there. Well, they were there the entire time, no matter how hard I tried to pretend. Um, So I think acknowledging those things and figuring out, you know, what things I'm not as good at, what things I do need to improve, what things do scare me and do I feel insecure about uh, has just made me be a much more self-aware and authentic person in general, which I do believe has allowed me to be a better leader and a better communicator. Um, I believe from a leadership standpoint, your authenticity is most important. You know, when we're all young, especially as coaches, uh, we usually try to emulate someone else. I mean, I- I've said before, you know, I'm a diehard Duke fan. Men's and women basketball, absolutely love Duke basketball. But I mean, I- I've looked at Coach K as as kind of a, an idol, a hero for my entire career. And I would be foolish if I tried to replicate what he does. First of all, it'd be impossible to do. But if I tried to coach in the exact same manner that Coach K coaches, it wouldn't be authentic. Now, I can take certain traits that he has, you know, and try to emulate those traits. You know, he's very honest. He's very direct. He prepares very well. You know, I can take those and try to put them through the filter of being authentic to myself. But I think the key to effective leadership is don't try to lead like anyone else. Don't try to be anyone else. Have your convictions in your own style and then find a way to lead effectively with that. Right. Now, are there steps that you've taken to be authentic. I mean, right down here, we have a question below that we're asking all the listeners out there, watchers or viewers, are you being authentic in your life? So I know you and I have talked, uh, becoming authentic, I thought was an easy road. And I thought I was in my early years. But as I get older, I'm like, wow, you know, I'm not being that authentic. So are there some key things that you've done to improve your authenticity with yourself 
as you reevaluate what's going on in your life and how, how time has gone on? You know, the authenticity will always start with self-awareness. That's always going to be the epicenter of going back. And, you know, you and I have talked in private and on some other video discussions we've had. For me, that really began when I went through some counseling and some therapy a couple of years ago where I had somebody, uh, a therapist who was wonderful. She almost forced me to peel back the layers and take a deeper look at myself to give me that self-awareness. And it was the best thing that I ever did. And, and I think that's allowed me to be my authentic self. And I can say without question that the person I am right now on this Facebook Live and the person I'd be if you and I went out to dinner and the person I'd be if I went tomorrow and, and coached some of your players is all the same person. I don't wear different masks and I don't change. Now, depending on the age group, depending on the situation, whether it's social, my vernacular may change. You know, when I'm working with young people, uh, I certainly don't use foul language. But those that know me personally know if we were out having a drink tonight, I would probably let some colorful language fly. But I'm the same me. I don't change in personality uh, based on the situation. But every situation is, is different as far as what may be appropriate to that situation. And, and certainly, you know, my my tone when I'm working with players is going to be different than my tone if you and I are out to a casual dinner. But me, my personality, my traits, my character, I'm the same no matter where I go. And to me, that's what's being truly authentic. And, you know, one of the things that I actually feel is one of the best compliments I ever get, and I'm so flattered and honored when I get it, is when someone sees me at a clinic and they come up and are like, I feel like I already know you. I see what you put on social and I, I this is exactly who I thought you'd be. And that makes me feel good. Now, it doesn't mean that they like me, but at least it means that I'm the same wherever I go. And I think that's the key to being truly authentic. Yeah, I think one of the hardest things, and I think um, Mike and Mike did a commercial about it on ESPN, but it's it's almost when you're sort of, you know, sort of, I guess, public figures is that when you're walking and someone sees you and they come talk to you like they've known you for years and all they've done is follow your social media. So then I'm thinking like, oh, I hope I put only good social media stuff out there because I don't want to think anything negative with me at all with it. Okay. Uh, well, I tell you, you know, uh, we talked on leadership. We talked about communication. And the last part we, well, one of the parts that we want to talk about is culture, you know, and, and we, you know, you're, I was very blessed to be on one of your podcasts. Um, if you haven't, you know, downloaded or gone to the Pure Sweat podcast, please do. I think, Alan, what well, you've done close to over 200 yeah, we've done a lot. And your episodes were phenomenal. You added a lot of wisdom, man. I love them. Well, you know, it's it's just having just having that avenue when you talk to other people. And of course, you and I have spoken a lot. But let's let's talk about your culture. Let's talk about the culture you try and embed. And you, you alluded earlier, when you come into a clinic, you've got to establish your culture right then and there. How is that different than when you're with the program for a whole season? Again, it's, they're all going to be similar. It's just a matter of the time constraints that you have. So, you know, if I know that a DeMatha player is going to be with me for four years, I have four years to establish trust and credibility. If I'm going into a clinic in Iowa and I'm going to be there for three hours, I literally have a handful of minutes to establish trust and credibility. So in that regard, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, the way I look at culture, culture is basically the environment. And, and I really believe that a true test of a team's culture, if we're going to talk about sports, is how do your players behave when you're not there? When the coaches aren't around, how do your players behave? Or when your head coach isn't there, how do the assistants behave? That's most indicative of what your culture really is. Most players and teams are going to do what's right when the coach is present. I mean, unless they're foolish, but how do they behave when they're not? Do they do what's right 
when no one's looking over their shoulder. You know, that's certainly the definition of character. And I think that has a lot to do with culture. Uh, I'm also a big believer that, you know, you can either be a thermostat or you can be a thermometer. And a thermostat sets the temperature where a thermometer simply reads it. A thermostat dictates the environment where a thermometer simply reacts to it. And I think as a leader, you need to be in charge of setting the culture. You need to be in charge of setting the environment. And you want to create an environment where everyone on your team feels safe, safe to be themselves, you know, safe to, to feel like they can contribute, safe to feel like they matter. You know, you want to make sure you create an environment where everyone feels empowered. You know, certainly if you're the only leader on your team, you're not going to be very good. Everyone needs to take ownership and be a leader. I mean, I would like to think at the Matha, you know, Mike Jones is the head coach of the program and he is a phenomenal leader, but every assistant and every player should feel some ownership of that program and should feel some leadership. So we should have 20 leaders in the DeMatha basketball pro program, not one. And, and I think you need to make sure in that uh, building of culture that you appreciate people, that you understand that every single person in your organization or on your team is making some type of sacrifice for the greater good of this team. And they need to be appreciated, whether it's a coach who's spending time away from their, their spouse and their children to be with the team, or it's a player, you know, that unfortunately doesn't get to play a lot of minutes, but you better believe they're at every single practice busting their butt to give everything they can to the team. Everyone's role is important. And I think if you can create an environment where everyone has ownership, everyone feels empowered to lead and everyone feels appreciated, you're on your way to having a, a really sound culture. And then it's a matter of being able to repeat that. You know, when people talk about Duke basketball uh, on both the men's and women's side, one of the most the things they talk about most is the consistency and the longevity. You guys have had amazing programs for decades. It's not this one hit wonder vanilla ice where you just came in and did it once. And the reason is because you've built the culture. You've built a culture where you're going to only recruit players that will be an addition and an asset to your culture. And that's what keeps everything healthy. I tell you, when you did the thermostat thermometer, I had to erase it like three times because I think I spelled one of them wrong over and over again. I was like, no, I got to put that down. <laughs> We're trying to put the comments out. But I think that that is so true. I love that because I love what you're saying was I think a lot of coaches saying, but I don't think that message comes out a lot. You've got to have. A, a players-led program and meaning awesome. that is having the leaders on that team being the players and I think what happens and it happens in high school and when they get to college that players are waiting to always be told what to do yep. instead of leading it and I think it's funny because a lot of coaches I know they're like you know kids are just different than they were when I was uh, young and I tell them I, I don't think so guys because I'm pretty sure everyone else was telling us the same thing it's just a different time. We just think that we were really, really good and the ultimate um, competitor growing up. Yeah. And all of us, our human needs, they haven't changed. I mean, what's technology's changed, as you mentioned, the times have changed. I mean, certain uh, of the peripheral uh, circumstances have changed. But no, uh, a, a player's need to feel appreciated, a player's need to feel like their role matters, a player's need to be empowered to lead. These things don't change. And yeah, are there some generational differences that, you know, maybe millennials today need more of an explanation before they put all their chips on the table? Yeah, that may be true. Uh, and back in the old days, you know, uh, could you just tell a player to do something and they would do it automatically without question? Yeah, that may be true. 
But those are just nuances. So all that means is you as a leader and a coach, you have to evolve as well. If if a, a millennial needs more of an explanation before they're going to give me their heart and soul, okay, then I just give them more of an explanation. That's the least I can do. That's my job as the leader is to make sure that I'm serving my people, that I'm doing everything I can to bring out the best in them, whatever it is that they require. So I don't lead by what I want to do. I lead by what my people need me to do. That's a huge difference. I can't, you know, go around dictating this is the way that I want things done because it, it no longer can be me driven. It has to be we, we driven. You know, we is always greater than me when we're talking about a team or an organization, which means everybody's thoughts and contributions matter. And I, I think when you can look through it through that lens, it will drastically improve your leadership, which then will drastically affect and improve your culture. I tell you that that right there being weed driven is something that we're working really hard here with our program. But it also comes sort of, you know, sort of what, what this kind of show is about in terms of, of tribe. You know, the difference between team and tribe. Um, we wrote about it before and how important it is and, and having that tribe is that everyone is going in the same direction, not because they're told, but it's because they really believe in it. You know, they will do whatever it takes to sacrifice for the person next to them to go ahead and get that accomplished and get the job done. And I, I, you hit on some really, really key points that I think a lot of players, a lot of parents, and a lot of coaches have to be reminded as time goes on. And we all do. Because remember, selfishness is wired in our DNA. Like when I wake up in the morning, Hernando, you don't have to remind me to look out for myself. I do that automatically. Like you don't have to remind me to love myself. I love me. What you have to remind me to do is care about you and to care about the person next to me and to make sure that I'm, I'm sharing and I'm empowering other people. And that we all need that constant reminder that there's something out there bigger than us. I mean, it starts with the team or the tribe. If you're, if you're deciding to be a part of a basketball team and you're basically signing on the dotted line that this team is more important than myself, that I'm only one member of this team and the team's needs have to precede my, my needs. And then you look big picture, you know, you've got a program. Uh, Duke basketball is not just a team. Duke basketball is a program. So no individual is bigger than the team and no one team is bigger than the program. I mean, that's, you know, and you have to make sure that you keep those things uh, in order. And, and yeah, it's like, uh, you know, when you're talking about the, the me and the we, it's tough because selfishness is understandable, but it doesn't mean it's acceptable. You know, I can understand when a player pouts because they didn't get to play. I understand that doesn't mean it's acceptable and we're not going to tolerate it, but I understand it. If we play tonight and even if we win by 10 and you had a horrible shooting night and you're a little bit upset that you didn't shoot well, I understand that, but it doesn't mean it's acceptable because that's a form of selfishness. You're worried about yourself and your own performance as opposed to being worried about the team. So there's so many things as coaches that we have to understand even if they're not acceptable. And it's, you know, the, that old adage, what is it? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I mean, there's so much truth to that. And, um, you know, the, the, the being a part of a team and giving up of yourself for the betterment of the group is absolutely one of the most fulfilling things we can do in our lives. But it's also challenging because of that inherent selfishness that we all just have in our DNA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th those key points are great. I mean, we are selfish. We are. We, it's just a part of us. Now, how do we break out of it? And that's a great segue 
because I know as being a, a, a divorced dad with, with kids just like you, um, we, we, we battle selfishness, but we also battle togetherness and leadership and communication. I, I know that you've got three beautiful kids. Talk about your journey as a father, as a working dad, as someone who shares um, custody with, with, the, with your ex-wife. Talk about that and how that has maybe made you better or, or, or changed you. Well, it has without question made me better. It's made me a better coach. It's made me a better leader. And I certainly think it's made me a better man. Um, first and foremost, anyone that has kids knows it just changes your perspective on everything. Uh, things that I thought were really important 10 years ago aren't quite as important now that I have three children that depend upon me. So just my perspective on life certainly shifts. Um, where I feel very thankful is I'm in a vocation of coaching like you where I'm serving others. I'm, we're, we're, all these things that we're talking about, we've been putting through the lens and filter of being a part of a team. But these are basically the same pillars that I parent with, trying to teach my children how to be unselfish and to work hard and to listen to their coaches and to raise the level of a teammate. And all of these, these things that, that we use and teach on a daily basis are the main pillars of my parenting. And, you know, going back to the understandable versus acceptable. I mean, every single day my children do something that's very understandable based on their age doesn't mean it's acceptable. I'm going to tolerate it as their father, but I, I can look at it through that lens. And, you know, so I'm, I'm thankful that the, the stuff I do on a daily basis, I don't have to necessarily switch hats all the time. Of Here's my dad hat and I'm going to act one way. And here's my coaching hat. They all kind of blend together because, you know, for the most part, and, and I learned this when I was really young, uh, Morgan Wooten, the, the coach, you know, the coach for 47 years at DeMatha always said that you should coach every one of your players as you would want someone to coach your own son or daughter. And I've tried to make sure that I act in a manner that every player I work with, whether it's at a three-hour clinic or it's a kid at Tamatha, I treat them the same way that I would want my children to be treated. And, of course, then I treat my children that same way as well. So, so that part's been unbelievably rewarding. And, you know, as we said that these pillars we're talking about transcend any industry. If my three children choose not to play basketball or play sports – Whatever they choose to do, maybe it's art, maybe it's music, maybe it's something in tech, who knows, these qualities and characteristics and traits are still what's going to help them achieve success and happiness and fulfillment. And I think lastly, having children, um, it makes me hold myself to an even higher standard because at the end of the day, I really believe my children will be my best legacy. If my children grow up to be good human beings that contribute to the world then, then at the very least, I would hope that I would feel like I was a good father. If the best thing someone can say about me on my deathbed is he got some kids to run faster and jump higher, boy, then I've, I failed humanity and I failed myself. So, you know, being a father and pouring into my children as well as pouring into the other uh, people's children that I get a chance to work with, it's just something I'm really thankful for. And, and, and I love being a father. I love being a coach. I'm, I'm very thankful to get to do what I do for a living. But, uh, you know, I, you know, for those of you who are just being introduced here to Alan Stein, if you if you go to a lot of social media, he posts some great video of his kids. Right. He's got now you've, you've got twins and a daughter. Right. The twins yep. is, is I know you were calling them the born backcourt. Is that born correct? Backcourt, yeah. Which may have been unfair. I thought it was comical when they were born to call them that. But I've let them know if you guys never pick up a basketball for the rest of your life, that doesn't change how I feel about you. That doesn't change how much I love you and how much I'll support you. I just thought it was a cool name. 
Um, but yeah, Luke and Jack are actually turning seven next week. And then my daughter Lila will be five in June. So they're at a really amazing age right now. And, you know, one thing I've learned in parenting is every age brings different joys and brings different challenges. I mean, when you have infants, you know, there's not a whole lot of communication going on, but they're just as cute as a button and they don't sleep a lot. And then they get a little bit older and they start to walk and talk. And that's fascinating, but then can also be a big pain in the butt. So every stage is a little bit different. So what I try to do is just stay in the present moment. Uh, I was joking with my daughter yesterday. I was like, Lila, please don't, don't grow up. Don't change. Stay four for the rest of your life. And, and I only say that in jest because as much as I love her, at four, I can't wait to see what she'll be like at seven and at 12 and at 16. And it's like I said, they'll all have their different joys and their different challenges, but that's the fun part of parenting. So I try to stay in the present moment as much as possible. And the last thing I'll say just on this topic is a lot of people talk about work-life balance. And I don't necessarily know that I agree with that term only because by definition, when you talk about balance, you're talking about if it weighs this much on this side, it has to weigh this much on this side to equal out. And I don't think life works that way. What I'm trying to achieve is work-life harmony, where whoever I'm with gets my full attention. When I'm with my children, I put my phone away, I put my work away, and I'm dialed into my children. Uh, when I'm not, when I'm doing something like this, I mean, you have 100% of my attention right now because you deserve that and I care about you, but I'm trying to find that balance. So when I'm working... I'm working when I'm with my kids, I'm with my kids. And, and I find that just pouring 100% into wherever you are, you know, wherever you are, be there, it has really helped me, I believe, again, be a better father, a better coach and a better leader. Yeah, uh, that's awesome, man. And I, I tell you, I've seen the pictures, I've seen the videos, I think, you know, being a father, sometimes I know personally, I wrestle with how good of a father I am. But then when you see dare I say the product, you know, when you see them being healthy, you see them enjoying life. Um, and it, it, you just say to yourself, you know what, I may be doing a pretty, a pretty good job, which leads to the second point, which is, you know, divorce is such a bad word. Um, I think in society, and as we mentioned, I'm divorced, you're divorced. Um, and I think it's now the statistics are closer to 55% of people are divorced. Um, yeah. and, and, I know for me, it, it, it changed my life. I know we talk about your kids and everything else. But as we move on to the next phase, of course, there's, you know, the separation, there's divorce, there's the kids, how it affects. Now there's the relationship part, which we, we definitely want to touch on afterwards. How is relationships after divorce? How has that? I don't necessarily want to. I mean, you may not want to share yours, but in terms, how has it been in terms of moving, dare I say, forward? So you can go ahead and, and find these different things and things that you want to improve on and apply it to to your next one. You know, for me, mindset is everything. So um, I've made the conscious choice to approach life after divorce with optimism and positivity. That is a conscious choice that I've made. So where other people say, you know, oh, man, I got to get back out in the dating world and oh, I got to do this again. They're choosing to view it through a, a pessimistic lens, and that's a choice that they have. So, you know, first and foremost, um, I was very lucky to have such an amicable divorce. I mean, my ex and I are better friends today than we were when we were married, which is kind of comical. Um, but that's that was really important, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. But I had already made the decision, and this is for anyone that's going through divorce or has been through, through a divorce, that... <clears throat> Regardless of our relationship, I know that the way I treat my children's mother is going to impact the way that they'll have relationships when they grow up. The yeah. way that I 
treat my ex will have a huge impact on how my sons will treat women when they're older. How I treat my ex will have a huge impact on how my daughter will allow men to treat her when she's older. So even if my ex and I weren't getting along or weren't cordial, I was going to put my ego and pride aside to make sure that I demonstrated what a, a respectful relationship would be, if for no other reason, to make sure that I'm down, you know, downloading on my children's hardware the right way and respectful way to treat a woman. And so with we're so amicable and we had a clean split and we're able to move on. I know that that's helped me have some optimism moving forward. Uh, I do meet a lot of folks in the dating world that are very scorned, that they had such an awful relationship that they're carrying that baggage into the new relationship. And that can be very dangerous. I mean, I, I try not to have any expectations. My goal is to meet, meet people, and in this case, women, be my true authentic self, be vulnerable, be self-aware, and be open and at least allow the potential for a connection. And when I meet someone that I jive with or I click with, then great, we can start to build a connection. Um, but I do, I approach it with optimism and I don't approach it with, you know, hey, I'm going to have coffee with someone tomorrow. Maybe she'll be my next wife. There's right. no reason to put that type of, of expectation on it. I just say, I'm going to meet someone tomorrow. I get a chance to meet someone new. I get a chance to learn her journey and learn a little bit about her. And if it turns into something else, wonderful. If it doesn't, I still made a human interaction with someone else that I get to learn from. And, and that mindset has helped me tremendously. And, you know, it's, it's also like with coaching, you know, in coaching, if you want your team to be enthusiastic and energetic, then you have to be enthusiastic and energetic, yeah. you know? So I found that in the dating world, you, it sounds very cosmic, but you, you get what you attract or you attract what you put out rather. Um, and I, I try to put out a very positive endearing energy and I've been able to attract some really wonderful people in my life, uh, both male and female, and have, have had some great friendships and some relationships. But I think it's all because I'm able to put that out in the universe and then it kind of comes back to me. I think the key point in all of that is expectation. Um, we, we just did a video on how love suffers because we expect so much. And there's so many parts of our life that has suffering because we expect something back in return or we have this expectation that we never, ever reach. And if we don't reach it, then all of a sudden our energies go low. Or we just are looking at life in a, in a totally different, different way. I know, you know, when, when, when I got divorced, my expectations were, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. I, I can't believe it just happened. My kids are, are messed up. I'm going to be messed up. And I thought about it. I was like, no, those are what I'm expecting. But I have a right. chance to rewrite where I want to go. Exactly. And you don't want to make those into self-fulfilling prophecies anyway. I mean, if you're expecting the worst from people, you will get the worst from people. But when you expect the best from people and you, again, you, you don't, you don't put all of this into a pressure cooker where, where you know, uh, I'm doing this. So you owe me. And it, that's it. Just focus on yourself. Focus on being the best version of yourself and you will start to attract the best version of other people. And then it literally, uh, I don't mean to sound callous, then it just becomes the filtering system. Uh, I only let people in my inner circle that are going to add value to my life, that they're going to be good people, they're going to be supportive, they're going to be loving, they're going to be people that add to my life and that I can add to theirs. Uh, if, if I come across anyone that's going to drag me down or is going to be a naysayer or is going to be negative or they're going to be an energy vampire, I don't let them in the circle. I mean, they're just out. And I don't say that out of self-righteousness. I say that out of the belief that I want to be around great people. And, and, and I try to be, 
a value add to everyone that I'm with in a relationship that I'm in. And, and certainly if I wasn't, I would expect those people to cut me out. Yeah. Well, you talk about circle and you talk about your own personal inner circle, which which is because of discipline. You have a discipline to have that. Yet, I think for some of us, a lot of us don't have that discipline to have your inner circle. I and mean, we tell our kids, hey, you are who your friends are. You know, it's amazing. My, my parents said that to me yeah. and over again. Yeah, we get older, we allow different things in our life that, that are becoming negative. So that leads me to. Believe in such as, and I love to get your opinion on this, is you are in your life where you put yourself. Yes. You know, there's nothing else about it. But but are you in your life where you put yourself in? I mean, yeah, to me, that's what's what's so interesting. I mean, wherever anyone is right at this very moment in time is accumulation of every choice and decision that they've ever made. Now, so many circumstances are beyond our control. I'm, I'm not acting like things don't happen to people. Um, and, and sometimes those are very negative, very challenging. And I would never make light of them. But how you respond to those situations is always a choice. So. For anyone that thinks this very moment where they're sitting is anyone else's responsibility is not taking ownership. So anytime, if you don't like the way things are going in your life, the first place you need to look is the mirror. And that can be a very tough look and a very tough and you don't like what's looking back. But yeah, that is absolutely crucial. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life since birth has put me here in this chair right now talking to you and your viewers on Facebook Live. And, and it's important to take that ownership. Now, to help with your decision-making process, it's nice to be insulated in a circle of people that you can trust, to have your own little inner tribe of people. Um, and I think one of the most important parts about that inner tribe and inner circle is having people that, are, that care enough about you and love you enough to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. You know, you and I see it all the time with young athletes. They've got this entourage of hanger-oners that just tell them, <coughs> excuse me, how great they are. You need people that are willing to confront you and, and tell you what you need to hear. Friend or a great coach, you're willing to reciprocate. Um, now, that doesn't mean that everything they're saying to you is negative. They're certainly going to tell you things that are positive because um, you need to hear those too. But I rate people that don't have to believe what you believe. You know, if, if Hernando, if you and I believe everything the exact same, then one of us doesn't matter. We don't need to have two of us if we all think the same thoughts. So it's good to have some variety and some difference of opinions and some professional debates. But as long as your inner circle that you know to your core, they love you and care about you regardless of how much money you make or what your job is or what you can do for them. They just care about you to your core then you, you've surrounded yourself with great people. And I think when you do that, if you use your inner tribe and your inner circle to help you make some of life's bigger decisions, um, I think that will help with the decision-making process. I mean, anytime I have to make a major decision in my life, you know, so I'm certainly not consulting anyone for what I'm going to eat for lunch, but if it's a bigger decision that I need to make, I mean, I have four or five people uh, th that I talk to about it and I, I get their opinion. And, and I actually prefer when they, take the devil's advocate approach and say, well, hey, I don't know if that's a smart move for you, or I don't know if you should try that. Um, and then ultimately the decision rests on me. I mean, we do know that, you know, if I were to ask 10 different people's opinion on something, you know, 10 different people, people's opinion on, do you like my shirt? I might get eight different answers, but that feedback is still crucial. And then it's up to me to take all of the feedback from the people that I know, love and trust 
and put that through my own filter and then make the best decision. And I think when I do all of that and then I just go with my heart, then I don't look back. Now, that doesn't make me impervious to making mistakes. I still make mistakes every single day, but at least there are mistakes I can live with because I trusted a process for making the best decision with the information I had at the time, and I can live with those kind of mistakes. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Before I ask probably the last part of, because I want to talk about you moving into just a, a whole new sector in your life. Guys, if you're watching, don't forget to press the share button. Share this as many people as you can. We're getting some great feedback on comments and even a I'm getting tons on my mini computer, the iPhone. Um, so keep them coming and everything else. So press the share button. I'm telling you, you've got to be a light. You've, you've got to be contagious to other people. Um, Alan, I know that you, you spent a lot of time on the court. I know you're shifting to something um, new and exciting. Um, you're looking to more into keynote speaking. I know you're going to be a part of Moving Up, which is a conference we have here at Duke on, on May 27th uh, this year. And you can visit movingupconference.com. I'll put it down there. But talk about your transition on what you're looking to do and, and your message. Yeah, well, first and foremost, I will never leave the basketball community because I'm forever grateful for how great the game has been to me. I mean, uh, in the broad scheme of things, I guess you could say I was an average player. I mean, I got to play college basketball, which I know puts me in an upper percentile, but I mean, I was a very average player. So to have been able to make my entire career based on the game that I love, and this game has afforded me so many opportunities, connected me with so many wonderful people like yourself, allowed me to travel the world. This game has been great to me. and I, I forever want to pay it forward and help coaches and players with my expertise, which happens to be the performance training side. So while I'm not leaving the basketball community, I am shifting my sights a little bit and in getting into the corporate speaking. And I'm doing that for a few reasons. One, uh, at 41 years old, um, even though I'm in, I'm in decent shape for a 41-year-old, I'm not going to be able to be on the court teaching athleticism for the next 20 years. So at some point, my body's not going to be able to do what it's capable of doing now, because right now it's not capable of doing everything it was 20 years ago. So I figured moving to a slightly more cerebral vocation where my mind is going to be more important than my body is a good move. Um, two, I need a new challenge. I want to talk to a new audience. I want to do something different. Um, I'll go as far as to say I'm very comfortable talking to coaches and players, and that's because I've done it for so long and I've had practice, but I don't want to live my life in comfort, not professionally. I want to live my life a little bit on the edge. I want to have a little bit of discomfort. So when I go in, and I was just speaking in Richmond two nights ago to 100 executives from a, a company called Sabra, like it was I mean, I was a little nervous to do that in a good way. It reminded me of how I felt when I spoke at my first basketball clinic 10 years ago. So I think it's just time for me to have a new chapter. And I also believe that, like I said, the message that I've been preaching to the basketball community on leadership and culture and team cohesion uh, needs to be heard in other areas. And, you know, whether I end up speaking at colleges and high schools or I end up speaking for Fortune 500 companies, the message needs to get out there. And uh, I have a platform, I have a message, and I have a unique vantage point from the stories and experiences that I've had. And I take a lot of pride in sharing those. And, you know, as you know, when someone's willing to pay you to do something that you love to do anyway, then you're very fortunate. So the fact that groups bring me in to speak, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And I really aim to serve them to the best of my ability. Um, and it's, it's a slightly different craft. I mean, if right now, if anyone listening can think of who their favorite speakers are, whether it's a Tony Robbins or a whoever, I mean, those guys are so unbelievable at their craft. This really gives me something to aspire to. I'm, I'm kind of 
going back to square one. I mean, uh, you know, no one has ever arrived and no one has ever finished. But in the basketball world, I've been able to achieve some things that I'm very thankful for. Now in the corporate world, I'm back to being a rookie. I'm a freshman. I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole. I'm, you know, everyone's like, well, who is Alan Stein? Because no one in the corporate world knows who I am. And I actually like that. That drives me and motivates me to try to build up a reputation in the corporate world that I've been able to build somewhat in the basketball world. So I'm, I'm excited for this chapter. And if you couple that on the professional side with the optimism that I have about being single again and, and, and looking for someone I can make a connection with, I feel like I've been born again in a non-religious sense that, I mean, I'm at the halftime of my life statistically. I'm 41. Barring some unforeseen accident, I should at least live to 82. So this is the second half. And not only is it the second half of my life, but I'm now armed with the wisdom, the maturity, the self-awareness, and the experience of everything I learned in the first 41 years. And gosh, there were some, some mess-ups in that 41. So I'm going into the prime of my life armed with a much better perspective, you can probably hear in my voice, I mean, this is ex as excited, as, as happy, and as fulfilled as I've ever been in my life, and I'm, and I'm pumped. Oh, man. That's awesome. I tell you what, at, at 41 years old, you're reinventing yourself, which it's never too late for anybody. I mean, that's the amazing thing about it. You know, you're doing something, you're staying in your same realm, but you're taking your your niche or niche. What I really don't even know what it's called correctly. But you are reinventing, and no one and and there are so many people who are afraid to do that. So man, I, I commend you on that. You know, you've got I my support. You've got the tribe support. Where can people find you, um, or where would you prefer them try and find you on all your different social media uh, outlets? Anything that anyone wants from a basketball standpoint is PureSweatBasketball.com. PureSweatBasketball.com. Uh, all the social handles are on there and anything you'd ever want to improve your skills or your performance can be on there. And we have, as you mentioned, you are a wonderful guest, the Pure Sweat Basketball Show. Um, so anything basketball related is there. Anything you want on the leadership teamwork speaking side will be at allensteinjr.com. There's a temporary landing page right now, but next week my full site should be up. Um, and, and the social stuff gets split pretty evenly too. All of my basketball contributions go to at Pure Sweat on all of the major ha handles and everything at Alan Stein Jr. on this side. And, and I look forward to serving both communities. I love interacting with people. I mean, one of the primary reasons I'm on social media is not only to learn and to share, but it's to engage and to, to interact. So uh, if anyone's been watching this, and you know, I certainly appreciate your attention. In 2017, I really believe that our attention is our number one currency because we have a million different things going on trying to steal our attention and grab our attention so for anyone that's been focused and listening to us today, really appreciate that. Please hit me up on any of the social channels and I'll do my best to get back to you because I love connecting with people. Alan, you are awesome, my man. I tell you, when we met, we hit it off right away. We had so many different synergies. And I tell you, I can't tell you how thankful I am that you took the time to come on and spend almost an hour of your day to come and speak to the tribe, your words of wisdom and everything else. I wish you best of luck. Tribe, please reach out to Alan. His message um, is absolutely contagious. He will get you going. His experiences are unbelievable. And I'm telling you, the road that you're going on is somewhere that he can help you with everything else. So keep on being a great light. Keep on being contagious. And uh, please share this great, great episode. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. I truly hope you enjoyed
enjoyed that great Facebook Live that we had with Alan Stein a few weeks ago, be sure to visit his website, www.allensteinjr.com, for everything that he does. He truly, truly is an inspiration. Do us a favor. This podcast does not survive without you. Subscribe, send it to someone, put some comments down. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, everyone, I love you. You are a light. You are great. And continue on being contagious for the people around you. Till next time.